Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. The coronavirus has been on everyone's mind. Today, we hope to expand your thoughts on this topic as Roger shares some economic insights on what's happening with China now and what kind of impacts past epidemics have had. Since recording our prior podcast, the world has and continues to experience a series of shocks on the health front, the political front, and now the economic front. We share your concerns and sympathies for those caught in the snare of coronavirus, but at the same time recognize that the world's medical and research specialists are totally engaged in defending us, and we must trust their efforts. We do plan to share our economic perspective on past global health threats and the impact so far COVID-19 is having on China's economy, as well as ripples starting through the global economy. We will continue to suggest specific defensive financial strategies as we look past today's high volatility and uncertainty in an attempt to define what we are facing after COVID-19 is ultimately contained, if not destroyed. Since we are not health, epidemic, or pandemic experts, I hope you'll understand our focus on business insights, including historical notes on the impacts of past severe epidemics, although we, like you, are hoping for effective healthcare solutions. The most recent stock and bond market volatility, again, demonstrates one of our key points in prior podcasts. A small number of truly large global financial groups can pretty much create an instantaneous panic that seems to come out of nowhere. This one, we've experienced for the past month or so, did not come out of nowhere and is defined by political and finance issues that are perhaps more impactful long-term than COVID-19, which we'd all admit is terrible on its own. These sudden market adjustments directly relate to vast amounts of new currency created and continuously rising levels of government debt. This excessive money creation, and essentially free money, is provided to keep interest rates at record low levels, which in turn allows our government to keep selling new and large amounts of debt. This recent stock market sell-off may be taken as a shot across our bow that global markets won't support a continuation of easy money, low interest rate policies. So given all the new volatility, what can we expect for 2020 and 2021? For needed perspective, we'll first summarize the economic impacts of past global virus contagions, then we'll assess China's present economic situation as it is impacting us in a number of ways. The largest managers of money, central banks, hedge funds, and private wealth funds, have repriced many asset classes really quickly, hourly and daily, this past few weeks. Here are some examples we've experienced in the past month with many changes occurring in hours. First of all, the U.S. stock markets quickly lost 10% plus of their value, with a large number of individual stocks dropping more than 20%. Secondly, the yield curve that we discussed a few episodes again inverted, with the 10-year Treasury note today below 1%. In this case, the U.S. Treasury obligations benefit from a flight to safety as many large fund managers typically executing individual transactions of hundreds of millions of dollars each know they can rely on repayment when the obligation matures or comes due. 
Many billions of foreign-owned dollars flow into these safe securities during crises, and the speed of this flow is literally at the speed of light. That is from Asia or Europe through fiber optic cables, which is so much faster than we individuals can change investments. Third, the Federal Reserve is now a regular major support for the global dollar repo market which itself serves the largest global money managers by allowing them to keep borrowing on their existing treasury securities using the new money to buy even more, plus make new investments in the stock and derivatives markets. With COVID-19, no one really talks about the growing repo market risks, but they're still lurking big time under the surface. Fourth, The business news writers are getting more focused on a real economic recession instead of a future financial crisis. The issue is that real recessions come and go over a one to two year period, but a financial crisis creates long-term issues, dislocations, bankruptcies, and structural changes in the economy itself. I refer to our prior podcast for more information and perspective. Changing topics a little bit, past really significant global virus shocks have been with us for some time. They include the 2002 SARS virus, the 1968 Asian flu, the 1958 Hong Kong flu, and the 1918 Spanish flu. Although the SARS epidemic cost the lives of less than 300 people globally, the 1968 Asian flu took the lives of more than 100,000 Americans, and the 1958 Hong Kong flu resulted in 116,000 American deaths. The 1918 Spanish flu was much worse, killing 675,000 Americans. Why do I bring this up in the economic perspective? Because all of the related economic impacts were V-shaped, like V as in Victor, with the economic decline and recovery taking one to two years. However, stock market declines occurred quickly, with some declines losing close to 50% of the values in the stock market, but then recovering and moving higher over the next year or year and a half after the declines. We want to also call out that every one of the flu epidemics mentioned resulted in faster resolutions and many fewer American deaths. We can only hope the past flu trends remain on this quick resolution track, but there are no guarantees. Let's now review the past month or so relative to the economic crisis in China, as China is the key to many product supply chains globally. The Chinese New Year this year officially spanned 15 days, from January 25th to February 8th. Traditionally, the entire country is off work and families are visiting relatives. This year, the Chinese economy today, which is March 6th, has every appearance of a continuation of this long holiday period. In fact, there is evidence across China that the economy is barely functioning. For example, the PMI is a purchasing manager's index that measures the prevailing economic activity. Both the manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs in China have crashed to record lows, and that's just been in a matter of weeks. Both have dropped approximately 40% and have both dropped considerably below the levels of the 2008-2009 global financial meltdown. So far, this crash confirms a worst-case scenario for economic recession, possibly depression, in China. 
Goldman Sachs tracks a number of economic measures of China's economic health, and I'll share a few of them with you now. First of all, daily coal consumption is down almost 30% in the past month or so, reflecting very limited economic activity and power usage across China. Railway loadings of coal in China are also down almost 30% and continue to drop, reflecting little or no industrial output at present. Goldman Sachs also uses a traffic congestion index observed via satellite data, which tracks overall trade and commerce, and that's for 100 cities in China, and the index is far below normal patterns and is not yet increasing. Passenger traffic is down approximately 75% versus last year at the same time. Additionally, the load factor on China's domestic airlines is down about 30%. Daily property sales in China's 30 major cities are down almost 70%. All this is in the past month or so. Rebar, which is key for construction, producers and cable wire fabricators are down almost 50% from early this year. Movie theaters are virtually empty, and so on. The above data is of interest for a lot of reasons. One reason relates to the future economic instability, bad debts, and the pressure to continue policies of aggressive money printing. China's government and companies' debts last year exceeded 300% of China's GNP, which happens to be equal to about 15% of all the global debt. Why should we care? Two reasons. Number one, the Bank of China has no choice but to extend the period of easy money and low interest rates, which aligns with the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, and the U.S. Federal Reserve. Monetary policy now is ineffective, and the industrial countries must remain on the long-term path of devaluing their currencies and moving toward new crises. There's no turning back, as higher interest rates will torpedo companies and compound the money printing. So what? At the extreme, consider the history of every country that has ramped up money printing and debt monetization. Their entire economies crash and have to be rebuilt with the lenders, read banks, and bondholders lose most everything in the process. Number two, China's economic issues get exported to us in the United States. How's that? China is key in many supply chains since many countries have outsourced their production to them. Key industries like pharmaceuticals, computers, electronic products, basic metals, machinery, batteries, and especially electric car batteries, rare earths, which are used in defense equipment, and many consumer goods, including clothing, depend upon Chinese manufacturing. China remains a large holder of U.S. government securities, although they have refrained from new purchases for more than a year. It's plausible that they become large sellers of U.S. government securities from their existing portfolio as their own credit issues rapidly trend up with inside China bailouts a distinct possibility, if not probability. So back to the question, what do we expect the rest of 2020 and 2021 to look like? First, COVID-19 is less the cause of a recession and financial crisis and more of an expediter. Far more money and debt creation seem in the cards now, which will push a future financial crisis closer. A U.S. and global recession is now predictable. The world's central banks have only one option, flood the world with new cash and keep the existing banking structure supported with any and all liquidity needed to do so. Second, 
Pressure for significant interest rate spikes up is gaining. Any listener who owns government bond funds or treasuries may want to have a discussion with your financial advisor. With interest rates pushed even lower this month, so far investors may have large capital gains that would evaporate quickly when interest rates go back up again. As we've noted in prior podcasts, as interest rates go down, which they've done, bond prices go up, which they've done. And strangely enough, despite the stock market declines, the bond market may have a lot of gains embedded in portfolios. This is not specific advice for you personally, but it's a heads up to check, as bond prices may be at record highs with not much more room to go. Third, selling a part of a stock portfolio could also be advantageous if cash is needed this year or next. Mitigation of COVID-19, or hopefully control of it, may not avoid a short-term negative trend in stock prices. Yes, they can go lower. We've seen record examples of volatility, but there remain many issues, including the possibility of changes in purchasing behavior, which imply lower-than-expected future earnings for companies and consequently lower stock prices, even without more crises. Fourth, expect supply chain disruptions, with some of them evident now. We import many intermediate goods from China, as well as many pharmaceuticals, machine parts, consumer electronics, and rare earth materials that are needed for batteries. If some of these categories are important to you, it would seem reasonable to use the Internet search engines for more information day-to-day on China production and inventories. Fifth, really think about the importance of the large global money managers we've talked about and the trillions of dollars per day that they flow through our financial markets. I don't know how to compete with them, with their algorithms and their supercomputers, but we can mitigate their influence by diversifying our own portfolios and taking the long-term investment viewpoints we've discussed. If cash is needed this year or next year, you may want to take zero risk that it may not be available. If you're saving for a child's education, you can reduce stresses by having a diversified portfolio of stocks and perhaps avoiding bonds at this point. We'll close this podcast with some investment basics to keep in mind. Markets have trouble dealing with events outside the bounds of probabilistic outcomes. In other words, we don't know the probabilities of many items that we have talked about today, but we know they are key items. Additionally, even epidemiologists are challenged in framing the potential range of outcomes for the virus and the virus mutations. Additionally, framing the current viral outbreak versus historic pandemics, as we've tried to do, may provide some measure of insight as well as the importance of long-term planning. Coupling the rarity of a large-scale public health catastrophe with the backdrop of increasing monetization of government debt makes historical comparisons really challenging. Broader perspective and a long-term view does remind us that the U.S. economy and stock market have navigated much more severe scenarios in a positive fashion from crisis to recovery, but we'll know more and share more in our next podcast in two weeks. Be assured we are constantly evaluating these major issues to help you better prepare in planning your own risk management. We do appreciate any of your questions, observations, and comments as our priority is to serve you.
Thank you, Roger, and thank you, listeners, as we all wait patiently for more updates. Our thoughts are with you as we wish you all good health and safety. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.